0: Hi, welcome to Come Follow Me with Brie, episode 190, Unity is Not Sameness. Hello, I'm so glad you're here. The message we're going to talk about this week is such a comforting one to me. And I got the title from something that the Come Follow Me manual said. They said that Paul's message was that unity is not sameness. I think one of the main complaints or grievances that I hear about the church is that everyone in the church is the same. And as we all know, as we have experienced the church, that's simply not true. That doesn't mean that there isn't any validity to that stereotype, because I think we, as a people, tend to get caught up in what our lives should look like. And therefore, on the outside, sometimes we order our lives on purpose in a way that is trying to look like someone else's life or how we think that it should look. And that does create a facade of sameness. And that causes a lot of damage for those who feel like they can't keep up with that facade, which I think, if you really get down to it, is all of us. Because we all actually are quite different, even if our facade is up, even if our homes are trying to look like the decor of the homes that we think that they should like look like or or whatever your facade might be, whether it be the way that you dress or the way your family behaves or the way that you perform your calling or whatever it might be. Underneath all of that, we are all different. No one can replace you. You were made completely unique. Your experience is completely unique. Your gifts are completely unique. Your preferences are unique. Your testimony and experience with the gospel of Jesus Christ is unique. Now, while I say that I think the facade of sameness is is harmful, I also think that it's harmful to judge anyone on the exterior as having a facade put up. I happen to be, probably, you could put me into that category. You, I have a home that I love to decorate, and I think I've decorated it beautifully. I have a family that you would probably classify when you look at us as your typical LDS family. And yet, underneath it all, I am completely confident in myself in knowing that I have unique things about me, and I'm not ashamed of them. And I wouldn't like for somebody to put me in a box of just your typical Mormon family, typical Mormon mom, just trying to keep up with the Joneses and, and look the perfect way that I'm supposed to, quote, look. I reject that I am trying to even be in that box. And yet someone could put me there. And that's fine. That's totally up to them. But I guess the point that I'm trying to get across is that it's harmful to perpetuate the ideas that everyone's family should look and act and be a certain way within the church. But it's also harmful to categorize people that way in your mind. And more, far more than it's harming anything else. Because ultimately, if someone puts me in that category, and even if they tell me that, it's my choice whether I allow it to affect my feelings. But it's affecting that person. Whether it's large or small, it's affecting that person to make assumptions about another person and not enjoy what I have to bring to the table or what another person has to bring to the table. They're getting a surface level experience with the body of Christ. And the same thing's happening if you are trying to fit into a box, if you are adjusting who you are. And what you want your family life to look like, what you want yourself to look like, and I'm not just talking about physical appearance, I'm just talking about about your home and the way you speak and the way you perform in your calling and all of those things. If you are adjusting into a box that you think that you need to get into, that is not helpful for you either. So we really need to embrace the idea that Paul puts forward, that unity is not sameness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12, after Paul describes a lot of different gifts and strengths that people can have, he says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body? As it hath pleased him, and if they were all one member, where were the body? But now they are many members, yet but one body. Now, just to clarify in case anyone's confused, a member is a body part. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to the more feeble are necessary and those members of the body, which we think to be less honorable, upon those we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God hath set some in the church first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongue. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly, which means seek earnestly, the best gifts, and yet shew I unto you a more excellent way. Isn't that so brilliant? And the cross-reference for that last scripture is in Doctrine and Covenants section 46, starting in verse 8, going to 9, wherefore, beware lest ye are deceived, and that ye may not be deceived, seek ye earnestly the best gifts. And what is the best gift? The best gift is whatever God intends to give you, the best of whatever he intends to give you. And that ye may not be deceived, seek ye earnestly the best gifts, always remembering for what they are given. For verily I say unto you, they are given for the benefit of those who love me and keep all my commandments, and him that seeketh to do so, that all may be benefited that seek or ask of me, that ask, and not for a sign that they may consume it upon their lusts. Don't you love that last part? Don't seek for gifts simply so that you may consume it upon your lust, whether that be lust for power or attention or whatever. Okay, can you imagine, imagine right now your ward? Can you imagine in your ward how beautifully, not that it doesn't function beautifully right now, but how even more perfectly and beautifully wards can function if that's what people are seeking after? If they're seeking after the best of what Heavenly Father has prepared for them. They're not trying to compete with anybody else. You're not trying to look like anybody else's life. You are simply seeking to do the next right thing for the glory of God. You're seeking the best gifts that He has prepared for you. And you know what's not included in that process? It's looking at the gifts and talents and circumstances of others and comparing yourself to it. Have you ever wished that you had a different spiritual gift or a different talent or a different circumstance? I always tell my kids comparison is the thief of joy. And actually I'm not, I think it's like an old Chinese proverb or something like that. I'm not sure who said that, but comparison is the thief of joy. Heavenly father, whatever it may be, has great gifts and talents and spiritual experiences and all the things prepared for you and he is ready with open arms to show you what he has for you but if you are focused on what you want that someone else has whatever it be that is going to steal your joy in the gift that he has prepared for you let's say that there is someone that you know that is great at speaking they get up and they give a talk and they are good at capturing the attention of the audience and conveying a spiritual message and and just sounding intelligent and put together while they say it. And that's a hard one because that one's out in front of everyone. And you just wish that that was you. You wish that you could raise your hand in Relief Society and and have a well-constructed comment that everyone would be impressed with. And because of that, let's say that you spend your Sundays feeling anxious because you are afraid to speak. In front of people. You're afraid. You you want that so badly that you sit there in Relief Society and you just think, oh, I want to comment, but I'm too afraid of how I'm going to sound. Now, this situation is assuming you actually have a desire to speak, because I know there are plenty of people who prefer to just sit there and listen, and that's perfectly fine. But let's say that you really have comments that you want to give, and because of that other person's gift, because you are comparing yourself to them, you are keeping quiet when that's not what you want. And we could go through a million of these examples. Let's say that you love to sing, but you're not incredible at it. And you want to be in the ward choir, but you're too intimidated by the people who come. You are depriving yourself of the joy of singing. When you are concerned with what Other people can do and what you can't do, or at least you don't feel you can do as well. This could go on and on, and there are gifts that you have that other people probably could feel the same way about. Imagine if instead of that, we all lived in the present and enjoyed what Heavenly Father has given us, enjoyed what He has to offer to us. I, every Friday, I attend a conference talk group where we talk about. A conference talk. It's actually, uh, Emily Bell Freeman used to run it, but it's called Inklings on Instagram. If you look it up once a week, they talk about a conference talk. So for my group, we talk about a conference talk and we listen to what the Inklings Institute has to say. And then we have our own discussion about it. And this last week they brought up a quote that I, I know I've heard it before. It was so moving to me and I feel like it's so applicable to to this. And in this quote, he's talking about teaching your children this, but I want you to apply this to yourself that you need to learn to do this. And I'm even going to alter the words a little bit just so that it applies directly to you. William Martin said this, "Do not ask yourself to strive for an extraordinary life. Such striving may seem admirable, but it is the way of foolishness. Instead, find the wonder and marvel of an ordinary life. Experience the joy of tasting tomatoes, apples, and pears. Experience grief when pets and people die. Enjoy the infinite pleasure in the touch of a hand and make the ordinary come alive. The extraordinary will then take care of itself. The extraordinary will then take care of itself. He just spoke of experiencing food, of experiencing the joy of relationships. What I hope you come away with today is that we have the opportunity, have been given the privilege of being given gifts from God. We have all been given spiritual strength, personality traits that are unique to us, that are gifts from God. They were given to us by a loving Heavenly Father who wants us to experience joy because of them, and who considers them necessary as part of the body of Christ. Experience the joy that comes and fulfillment that comes from being a good listener. Experience the joy prepared for you as you fulfill your calling in an organized way that might not be noticed by many. Experience the joy of being reliable, being someone that people can count on. Experience the joy of supporting people in their callings. Experience the joy of being able to make people feel important. Now, I might not have listed anything that you consider yourself to be gifted at, but it is there. There are things that are unique to you that you are good at, and you are necessary and important in the body of Christ. You are necessary and important in your ward. But most importantly, your testimony, is an important part of the body of Christ. That is how we all become one in Christ. Elder Christofferson said in his talk in April 2023, One in Christ, he says, where God prevails in all hearts and minds, the people are described as in one, the children of Christ. He continues, we are too diverse and at times too discordant to be able to come together As one on any other basis or on any other name. Only in Jesus Christ can we truly become one. Becoming one in Christ happens one by one. We each begin with ourselves. We are dual beings of flesh and spirit and are sometimes at war within ourselves. As Paul expressed, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law. In the members of my body, warring against the war of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Jesus was also a being of flesh and spirit. He was tested. He understands. He can help us achieve unity within. Therefore, drawing upon the light and the grace of Christ, we strive to give our spirit and the Holy Spirit dominance over the physical. And when we fall short, Christ, by his atonement, has given us the gift of repentance and the opportunity to try again. If individually we each put on Christ, then together we can hope to become one, as Paul said, the body of Christ. To put on Christ certainly includes making his first and great commandment our first and greatest commitment. And if we love God, we will keep his commandments. Unity with our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ grows as we heed the second commandment, inextricably connected to the first. To love others as ourselves and i suppose an even more perfect unity would be obtained among us if we followed the savior's higher and holier expression of the second commandment to love one another not only as we love ourselves but as he loved us in sum, it is every man seeking the interest of his neighbor and doing all things with an eye single to the glory of god now this kind of unity feels like a tall order right When we think about our own wards and whatever dysfunction might exist within it, it feels hard. But I feel like when it feels hardest is when we are thinking about the problems that we perceive other people are bringing to the table. What Elder Christofferson is saying here is that it is first and foremost our job to look within ourselves and be unified with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think as we are unified in Christ, as we grow close to the Savior, as we get close enough to Him to really know Him, we will grow to appreciate and not resent any of the gifts that we may have felt in the past are lackluster. We will find joy in what He has provided because what He has given us, what He has given you is enough. What he has given you is exactly what he intended for you. What he has given you is important. You are a part of the body of Christ. You were sent here for a reason, to this time for a reason. Things might be hard sometimes. You might not understand or appreciate right now all the gifts that you have been given or the gifts that you perceive you have not been given. And that's okay. We're not meant to understand all things right now. But give that over to the Savior he can help you overcome those feelings that you have and grow to appreciate what you have been given. I also know that weaknesses can become strengths. And I think as you righteously pursue gifts that you really wish you had, not like it said in that Doctrine and Covenant scripture, to consume it upon your own lust, but in order to give glory and honor to God. I don't want to speak for God here, but I think that often, Those requests will be honored, and you will be able to grow and make those weaknesses become strengths. But I'm also pretty sure that that won't come until we learn to embrace and appreciate what we've already been given. And not to mention, be able to grow to appreciate all the different gifts that other people around us have. I think the more that we appreciate and utilize our talents and spiritual gifts, and we grow to appreciate and utilize the talents of those around us, I think it would be pretty irresistible to Heavenly Father if you are requesting something more. I I have a hard time feeling like that would be an often denied request. Let's end with Elder Christofferson. Unity does not require sameness, but it does require harmony. We can have our hearts knit together in love, be one in faith and doctrine, and still cheer for different teams, disagree on various political issues, debate about goals and the right way to achieve them, and many other such things. But we can never disagree or contend with anger or contempt for one another. Said the Savior, For verily, verily, I say unto you, He that hath the spirit of contention is not of me, but is of the devil, who is the father of contention, and he stirreth up the hearts of men to contend with anger one with another. Behold, this is not my doctrine, to stir up the hearts of men with anger, one against another, but this is my doctrine, that such things should be done away. A year ago, President Russell M. Nelson pled with us in these words, None of us can control nations, or the actions of others, or even members of our own family, but we can control ourselves. My call today, dear brothers and sisters, is to end conflicts that are raging in your heart, your home, and your life. Bury any and all inclinations to hurt others, whether those inclinations be a temper, a sharp tongue, or a resentment for someone who has hurt you. The Savior commanded us to turn the other cheek, to love our enemies, and to pray for those who despitefully use us. Elder Christofferson continues, I say again that it is only in and through our individual loyalty to and love of Jesus Christ that we can hope to be one—one one within, one at home, one in the church eventually one in Zion, and above all, one with the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. That is how we become one. We become one in Jesus Christ, through loving Jesus Christ, through loving what He has given us, what He has provided for us in this life, in making the most of our circumstances and our talents and our limitations. And as we show that we are striving to use what we've been given to its utmost capacity, using the atonement along the way as we inevitably fail sometimes, that he will make more out of your life than you can possibly imagine, that you will be and are intricately a part of the body of Christ. And as you experience that change of heart, as you embrace being unified with the body of Christ through Jesus Christ, You will have more faith in the people around you that this is possible. You will have a more optimistic view of your ward, your stake, and the church as a whole. We can be one in Christ. And it starts first inside you individually. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.